The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. So I totally messed up the best line in that song, is, which is where they hung the jerk that invented work. <clears throat> um, isn't that how we feel about work sometimes? How, how fitting is that? How awesome is it that I get to do that song as a, like a pastoral thing? <clears throat> so that's the dream of the hobo. And it's a dream that I think we all share, some days anyway, lemonade springs, lakes of stew, no one to bother you or tell you what to do with your life, where to be. You sleep all day, and they hung the jerk that invented work. Because sometimes work sucks. I hope that you will pardon my expression. Um, and I'm pretty sure you will because you all say it every Monday morning when the <laughs> alarm clock goes off. <clears throat> you say, oh, oh, work sucks. And we wonder, why do we have to work in the first place? Well, that's exactly the question that we're going to try to answer today as we begin this new series, The Why and How of Work. And today is The Why of Work. Why? Well, our tradition and our belief as a church um, sort of dictate that we, we look first to the Bible to answer questions like this. We are people who believe the Bible is the best rule uh, and guide for what God wants from the world and from us. And so in this first week of the series, we're going to talk about, uh, probably pretty quickly, we're going to breeze through actually, tons of Bible passages that, that talk about work. Um, now, let me give you one little caveat about this. Uh, everything in the Bible, and this is true for any topic, so keep this in mind, everything in the Bible comes with it, carries with it a, a particular context. And you can't always just say, whatever these words say, exactly literally, I'm going to apply them to my situation, and that's good biblical interpretation or exegesis. It's actually not. You have to understand to whom this text was originally written and how it affected those people first. And then you may be able to make an application, and sometimes it's just going to be a story that tells you how God was at work in their lives, and there's no direct application. And that's okay. It doesn't reduce the importance or significance of the Bible in our lives to say that. But the Bible, the point is, the Bible understands it and assumes a very different understanding of work than the one that we have today. We tend to think, when we talk about work, we use words like, I want to find a job that's fulfilling. You know, and we have an almost infinite array of career, potential careers that we could pursue. Whereas in biblical times, in ancient times, that doesn't really compute. You worked because you had to eat. <laughs> you, the work was you tilled the field. You know, and sometimes you know, the economy kind of expanded, and you could maybe be a blacksmith, but probably not unless your father was a blacksmith. You might be a, a craftsperson, but that's a family trade. So you, the, the, the determinism of the ancient culture was related to the, the fact that there, you really didn't have a whole lot of... 
options to change what was going on in your family's life. And if you were a woman, you had plenty of work to do, but it wasn't going to be of the type, you know, you weren't going to get a job at, at uh, Xerox. There was no, you may not know this, there was no Xerox in <laughs> Jerusalem. So what the Bible says about a farmer and his work may or may not apply directly or at all to the, the work of a software engineer and her work. None of this, again, negates what I said about the Bible's importance uh, and primacy. It's just that we have to look at things with an eye on the contextual lens. The, the context is like a lens that you have to look through. Um, and then you can apply that through that lens to your own context. So that being said, let's talk about work in the Bible. <clears throat> and I'm going to show you a tool that I use for this kind of thing. I don't want to give away all my secrets, but... Um, what I started with when I wanted to research work in the Bible was this gigantic book. This is a concordance. It's actually an exhaustive concordance, an unabridged concordance. Uh, a concordance is simply just a list of words in the Bible and where they appear. Okay? This one has every word, like even real tiny ones, um, which is why it's so big. Here's the section on B. Um, <laughs> that's, like, that's a lot of words. Um, but for words like work, it can be very helpful to look and see, and it gives you a little snippet of, where, of the sentence that um, the word appears in and the reference, and then you can go look it up. And so I looked through and, and found uh, from my big giant concordance that there's over 400 usages of the word work in the Bible. And what I found was that sometimes it's used as a verb, the way we use it, like I, I have to work tomorrow. But more often it's used as a noun, for example, the work of his hands. There's dozens of references um, using work as a noun when they talk about the building or the rebuilding of the temple. And it's not just the work that the people did. It's also specific works like um, works of embroidery or works of um, goldsmithing. And the, it, the work is an actual object. I thought that was kind of interesting. Maybe that, maybe that doesn't mean anything, but maybe it does. Maybe one example of the cultural differences between the Bible and today is that uh, work was assumed to be a productive activity <laughs> in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean that none of you are productive at your jobs. Um, all I mean is that it literally produced something. There was a, an object that was done that, that you could point to when you finished your work. Um, and I think that some of us, have, that's one of the frustrations with work sometimes, isn't it? You get home and you're like, what did I do today? I don't know. Incidentally, there's another 200 plus usages of the word work when you pluralize it. Works. And that's used uh, in a slightly different way still. In the Old Testament, it's generally the, the works of God. Um, similar to what I said before, the works of his hands, that kind of thing. In the New Testament, the word works, plural, almost always is involved in a theological discussion about how one obtains salvation. Is it through doing good works? And the New Testament resoundingly answers that question, no. Your salvation does not come from doing good works. Your salvation comes from, rather, faith. Um, so that's works in the Bible. But So I went through those many. I didn't read every single one of them in context. Some of them could be uh, immediately dismissed, obviously, but I went through a number of them, and I came up with some principles about work related to the question of why, and uh, we'll talk about how you work next week, but 
Here's the first principle that I found in looking at work in the Bible. We work because God is a worker. And we are made in God's image. So we are workers too. This comes out of the very first account in the Bible. Uh, if you'd like to look along with me, I'm not, I didn't even give you a page number because it's just Genesis 1. Um, it's on page 1. And it talks about the, the, this is the first account of creation. There's a couple different accounts of creation in the Bible. This is the first one. goes through and talks about um, all the different days of creation. You remember this story? And then it, when, when, it, when God creates human beings in Genesis 127, it says God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So that's what I mean when I say we're made in God's image. There's something about us that makes us like God. Now, in, in the fall, in the, when sin enters the picture here, that image is fractured significantly. And we'll talk about that in a minute, maybe. Um, but we're made in God's image. And then the conclusion of that creation account actually is the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, which is on the next page. Um, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day, seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God is a worker. The, the act of creation was God's work. And we are made in God's image, and so we're workers too. That's, that's a fairly theological principle. And if you wanted to look through the Psalms, you find all kinds of more indication that God is a worker. It wasn't just that he did the work at creation and then stopped. There's all kinds of other things too. Um, the psalmists say, among other things, I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers. Um, the psalmists say, I will meditate on all your work. They say, you have made me glad by your work. So we delight in God's work. They say that the earth is satisfied by the fruit of your work. I'm speaking to God. And then, in one of the most poignant passages in the Psalms, the psalmist cries out to God, do not forsake the work of your hands, meaning himself. We are not only made in the image of God who is a worker, and so we are workers ourselves, but we are the work. In that noun sense of the word, we are the work. We are the result of God's labor. So God is a worker and we are made in God's image, and, and so we are workers too. Just innately, that's, that's part of who we are. Second principle that I pulled out here about why we work. We work because of the curse of the fall. So Adam and Eve freely walked around in the garden, and they ate of the fruit of the trees, and they did not need to work in order to eat. Now they, that doesn't mean they didn't have a job, because the Lord made them to till the earth and keep it. Um, but it was not hard labor at that point, and they didn't have to work in order to eat. They could eat any of, the, any of the plants and fruits in the garden until they disobeyed God. And then God tells them, here is the result of what's going to happen. First, he talks to the serpent who tempts them, then he talks to the woman, uh, and then he talks to the man. And what he says to the man is that, essentially, paraphrasing here, you're going to have to fight with the ground for every bit of food you want to pull up out of it. You're going to have hard labor to till the earth, and you're going to toil. And by the sweat of your brow, you are going to produce food. It's not going to be just walking through and grabbing apples anymore, buddy. You've got some work to do now, and it's going to, it's going to be a pain, literally. 
And so we're, we're not farmers now. I don't think any of us are anyway. Some people are. Um, but so we, we, we don't directly uh, feel that curse. In other words, we don't have to till the earth in order to eat our food. We have Wegmans. Um, but we do still have to work if we want to eat, don't we? So there is that, that connection is still there. Now, let me be honest. I wavered a little bit on this particular principle. I, I wasn't sure I wanted to include this point um, because I don't really believe that work should be regarded as a punishment from God. Um, we'll talk about that next week. When we get to the how, I, I'll talk about what I, different ways to conceive of, of how you work. Um, but I don't think it should be assumed that whatever job you have, that's your punishment for original sin. Um, <laughs> it may feel that way sometimes, but I don't want to assume that. And also because I don't know that this, the meaning of this story is actually specifically about labor and work. I think it's more generally about the loss that comes from our sin and disobedience to God. There was a state of comfort that was there uh, before Adam and Eve sinned, and then they lost that when they did sin. Um, but that little detail about work is in there, and so I, I, and I, I do believe that it's true that in a perfect world, the world that God desired for us and in, in the world that I believe he will eventually bring about for us again, um, we're not going to have to toil and labor the way that Adam had to toil and labor after the, after the fall. So that's the second principle. We work because of the curse of the fall. And here's a third biblical principle about why we work. And listen up, guys, especially, but because um, I find this is, this is often more a problem for men than for women. I don't want to generalize too much. Um, but we work because laziness is sinful, and it's harmful to our well-being. I wish we had time to go through the book of Proverbs and read aloud every verse that talks about laziness and sloth and, um, it's, uh, and all the things that are going to happen to the lazy person. <laughs> Uh, I love the book of Proverbs. I'd love to do a series on Proverbs sometime. It's, it's just so um, vibrant. <laughs> uh, but what happens to lazy people in, uh, in the book of Proverbs is not pleasant. Um, unemployment or even harder labor, ironically. It's kind of an interesting idea. The Proverbs say the lazy person will have to work hard and the, the diligent worker will, will be the boss, basically. <laughs> um, uh, uncooked meat, hunger, thorny paths. Lions. I mean, it's, it's not a pretty picture of what's going to happen to the lazy person. Um, so the, all through the book of Proverbs, it's there. And, and you could look up, if you have a concordance, you could look up work and find some passages uh, in Proverbs. But if you look up the word lazy, you find probably a dozen uh, really great Proverbs. Um, but on that point the, about laziness, I'd, I'd prefer to turn, it, for today anyway, to the Apostle Paul in his letter um, to the Thessalonians, the second one find it. I went to seminary. There it is. This is uh, what he says about um, a church that he's writing a, a church in, to a church in Thessalonica, and they, they have a little bit of a laziness problem there at this church. Not like us, um, but this is Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 and following. He says, Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. 
We did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. Here's the, here's the poignant verse. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. So you might say, oh, that's old Proverbs, Old Testament stuff. Or Proverbs, yeah, those, I mean, they're kind of guidelines for life, but they're not rules. Um, but the Apostle Paul had some pretty harsh words for people who just sat around and, and ate other people's food. So we work because not to work is laziness, and laziness is sinful, and it's harmful to our well-being. So those are three biblical, or you might call them spiritual, principles about why we work. And I want to shift now and talk in a a much more practical way about why we work. Now, let me pause for just a second to say, I don't think it's generally... Um, the right, it's not good language to use to say that we talked about the spiritual stuff before and now we're going to talk about the real life practical stuff. You know, that's about our spiritual life and this is about our real life. Because I think that's, that's not consistent with the way Christians ought to look at their lives and their spirits. Those two things are together. We have a life. You don't have a spiritual life that's compartmentalized over here and then uh, a family life that's over here and then a sex life that's over here, and then a job life that's over here, and they never see each other. You have a life, and it's governed in all things by your allegiance to Jesus Christ. As a Christian, that's what you ought to believe uh, about these different facets of your life. So it's not quite fair to say we talked about the spiritual stuff before, now we're going to talk practical, because I think they're, they're enmeshed. The problem is that sometimes if a pastor like myself or if somebody who, is, who claimed to be giving spiritual or, or Christian advice only said practical things, some idiot would say, hey, you can't tell me what to do unless you have a Bible verse. Well, I, what I said about the Bible before, I mean with all my heart. It's the best guide for our life and for understanding what God wants for us. That doesn't mean you have to proof text something every time you want to make a point. Um, anyway, I, I could go down on that rant for a little while longer, but I guess I won't. Um, Here's the practical side of why we work. Again, still from a Christian perspective. The most basic reason that we work is because we need money. We work because we need to eat. Food, shelter, clothing, people don't generally just give those to you. Or if they do, they won't do it for very long before they say, listen, pal, why don't you help yourself for a little while? We need to eat. We also um, want other stuff, don't we? (laughs) We don't just work because we need to eat and pay the light bill and pay the rent. We also work because we want iPads and season tickets and riding lawnmowers and um, uh, what are those uh, little, I'm trying to be egalitarian here, those uh, those weird quilted paisley purses that you girls like. <laughs> right? 
<laughs> Are those Cleopatra shoes? I don't know. <laughs> I'm such a jerk. <laughs> I'm, uh, but I know what guys want. We want iPads, season tickets, and riding lawnmowers. <laughs> guitars. Ah, I hadn't even thought about that. See, this is, the, guitars for me would go in the food, clothing, shelter <laughs> category. Um, <laughs> I think we can all agree. <laughs> right, honey? Um, so we work, we need money. We have to work to get money because we need money in order to eat or because we want stuff. And here's another reason why we need money, because we owe somebody that money. How many of you look at your paycheck every week or two weeks or month or whenever it comes in and think, okay, uh, X percent of that is already committed to someone else. It's already got Chase Bank's name on it or uh, Ford Motor Credit on it or Wells Fargo on it or Capital One on it. All that money you owe, you owe so off to work you go. You know, I didn't put it on the screen, but another reason why we need to make money is because we want to give some of it away. And you guys are awesome at that. We already talked about that today. But here, let me make it very simple for you. If you hate your job and don't want to work as much, you might consider trying to live on less. You might think about being okay with not getting all the stuff. If you want to work less in the future, you're going to have to pay off those debts that you owe. Quit borrowing money for everything. Cut up the credit cards. Do something drastic. You might need to. If you want to work less, if you find work to be a gigantic burden in your life, guess what? Don't insist on living in a gigantic house. See, this is where, this is why the, uh, you know, we're doing this Financial Peace University thing again, and, and some of us have already been through it, but one of the big verses in that, that set of principles is Proverbs 22.7, which says the borrower is the what? Is the slave to the lender. And you might say, oh, that's pretty dramatic language, Pastor. But can, tell me, can you stop working for a couple of weeks just to do something fun? Or to go on a trip if, if God were to say to you, go to Uganda and like Liz did, are you able to do that? Probably not. And I bet it's in large part due to the fact that you owe a crap ton of money <laughs> to everybody and everything. So I know we're supposed to be talking about why we work. But that's my little hint for you this morning. Yeah, I think all those, all those biblical passages about why we work are true. All that spiritual stuff is true. But however true it is on its own, we amplify it tenfold and maybe more with our insatiable lust for stuff. So the most honest answer to the question, why do we work, may in fact be to pay for a lifestyle that we don't really need. So, on that happy note, 
we will end for today. And uh, I'd love to have you come back next week. And <laughs> I promise I won't berate you. <laughs> um, but next week is actually, I think, where it's going to get really good, I hope. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's pray. God, thank you for these uh, principles that we've been able to draw out of your word uh, about why we have to work. And we pray that you'd give us wisdom and show us ways to apply those to our lives um, when we think about uh, the results of our disobedience and when we think about the fact that we're made in your image and when we think about uh, our tendency toward laziness. Father, uh, give us guidance and grace to transcend that pull in our lives. And we pray also uh, on a really practical level that you'd help us to know when to say no to things, when to say, I don't need that, and it's going to handcuff me if I buy it, and so I'm going to leave it on the shelf. And help us, most of all, God, maybe to see that that decision is about as spiritual a decision as we could make. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to continue to, to worship God in song together. And uh, as we do that, I'd invite you to come and participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, if you're following Jesus in this place, this table is open for you. You can come and participate in that uh, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you are here uh, as a parent and you drop your kid off in our classroom space, please do go retrieve your child or children. Um, and they're welcome to take communion with you if you'd like. You can also go get them right after you're done communion. But as we often say, please don't leave them down there because uh, the, our kind volunteers are probably ready for, uh, for you to come relieve them. Um, uh, but uh, I invite you to respond in worship as God leads. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.